So today, if you're just jumping into this series, you're, uh, we just started, just started last week, so you're not, uh, we're not too far down the road, and, and I want to just provide a quick uh, background, so especially for those who are just joining us, for you, those who were here last week, you heard this background, but it's always good when you start studying a book of the Bible to know some of the context. And so I just want to share two pieces of information. First, the author. The author is Mark. I'm sure that's not surprising, uh, hence his name on this gospel. Uh, Mark, uh, you should know that Mark was not one of Jesus' disciples. He did not uh, see firsthand the miracles, hear the teaching, uh, see the fish and loaves multiply, multiply did not see a, a lame man get up off the mat and carry his mat. Uh, Mark didn't see any of that. So he writes based on what probably two primary sources of people, Peter uh, being one, one of Jesus' disciples, and, and Paul, uh, who we read about more in Acts and wrote Romans and a number of other books in the New Testament, shared with him. And, and, and Mark takes what they've shared, their stories, and writes this account. And he writes this account roughly, and again, it's a range, we're, we're, we're estimating, um, uh, that he wrote his gospel account probably anywhere from the mid-50s to 70 A.D., that's the kind of the range it was written in, somewhere there. Um, and he wrote it specifically to a group of Christians in Rome who were going through some pretty challenging circumstances. There was a fire that ripped through Rome. Nero was in charge. Rumors started spreading that Nero started the fire. Nero obviously didn't like that. So he tried a number of things to squelch the rumors. That didn't stop the rumors. So he said, you know, I'm going to blame someone else or a group of people. And he blamed Christians. And Nero said they started the fire. And so Nero started killing Christians and really uh, in a very grotesque, graphic way. Uh, we talked about one way even last week where he would, he would light Christians on fire and set them up on poles to light the city at night. This is what Mark is writing to. These are the circumstances uh, that Mark is writing to. And last week... We are introduced uh, to Jesus, the main character in Mark's story, in Mark's letter, Mark's gospel. Uh, and, and here's the title, if you will. It's in verse 1, uh, chapter 1. The title of, of Mark's gospel would be this, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is who the gospel is about. It's about Jesus. And Mark is going to show us who Jesus is over these chapters in a very fast-paced way. He doesn't give a lot of detail like some of the other writers do. He writes in a unique way. They all write in unique ways, unique personalities. Uh, but Mark writes in a very fast-paced way. So last week was about who's the central character in Mark? It's Jesus. And today we're going to be introduced to Jesus' central message. What, if he's the central character, what was his message? What was he talking all about? You might have those friends that when you get around them, you know what they're going to talk about. And maybe you avoid them because you know what they're going to talk about. Like there might be that person at work that's politics. And you're like, oh, when are they going to the water cooler? And you go to the other time. Like, when do they go get their coffee? You know, uh, it might be sports. And you're just like, I can't hear another story about the Browns. Or, the, you know, I just can't, like, you know, like, that's just all, like, they want to talk about or what's happening, you know. And it, but you have, we have friends and people, for, you know, around us that, like, that's their go-to mess. That's what they, the theme they continually talk about. So we're going to talk today about be introduced, and it's just introduction. This, this theme, this, this major message is going to be unpacked the rest of Mark. 
So today we're just kind of just kind of cracking the door a little bit to, to understand what this message is all about. But here's the message. The central message that Jesus talked about is this, the kingdom of God. That might surprise you. That might, be, uh, that might make sense to you today. Uh, you might have said, I thought Jesus' message was more about love. And it is about love. You might have said, I thought it was more about forgiveness. And it is about forgiveness. About the cross. And it is about the cross. And what about the resurrection? And it is about the resurrection. But I want to say the message, the theme that Jesus continually talked about in Mark and Matthew and in Luke was this theme, the kingdom of God. In Mark, he talks about it 13 times in 16 chapters. When you add how many times in Matthew and Luke, we're pushing over 100 times the theme, the kingdom of God is talked about in a variety of ways. In a variety of ways, it's talked about. Um, one other um, verse, and we can go to a lot of different verses, but one other verse outside of Mark that helps me, and I hope it maybe even encourages you to see, this is like, this was the theme or idea that Jesus talked about incessantly. Um, we, I want us to just look real quick at one verse in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says this. Um, Oh, I jumped ahead. Sorry, Dave. Let me just read verse. Uh, I'm jumping ahead of my notes here. So let me read where Mark talks about it in Mark chapter 1 first, then we'll jump to Acts. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the good news of God. The time has come. The time, the idea that the time has reached its fulfillment, what, what it's been building to. And here it is. And this is, it says this, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I want to I say, I don't think that was all of Jesus' message. Like it was, well, just what, five words. And that's it. That's all I got to say, five words. I, I think what Mark is giving us is a summary. It's shorthand. He's saying this overall theme was what Jesus' message, the good news that he proclaimed and demonstrated in a variety of ways. And again, we talk about how it's throughout Mark, it's throughout Matthew, it's throughout Luke. One note, um, you might be familiar with Matthew's gospel. When Matthew says, when talks about the kingdom of God, he says the kingdom of heaven. And you might wonder, why does Mark say the kingdom of God and Matthew say the kingdom of heaven? Are they talking about the same thing or two different things? And I want to say they're talking about the same thing, but you have to remember Matthew writes to a different audience. Mark writes to Gentiles, non-Jews. Matthew writes to primarily Jews. And, in, and for many Jews, it was disrespectful to speak or to write or to say the name of God. So Matthew, when he writes his gospel, he write, knowing his audience is mostly Jews, instead of saying the kingdom of God or of Yahweh, he writes heaven. But he's saying, communicating the same theme or same idea, but knowing his audience that he's writing to. But let me just talk about that verse in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. So again, Jesus at this point has died, rose again, and now he's with his disciples. We're told by Luke, who wrote Acts, 40 days. And what does he, so it says this in verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and what did he speak about? The kingdom of God. So he has just spent, we believe, about three, three and a half or so years with these disciples. He's 
taught a lot. He's modeled. He's shown them. He's done the miracles. He's now died on the cross. He rose again, and he has 40 days. He has a limited time frame. So when you have a limited time frame with someone or a group of people, what is important matters. Like it's obviously right. Like we only have so many days together or we have so many hours together. So what we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about the essential things. Luke tells us he has 40 days. And what does he keep talking about? The kingdom of God. It was that important that before he leaves, I want, he wants his disciples to know more about this. And what does it mean to live in light of God's kingdom coming near, coming to earth as it is in heaven? What does it mean for them going forward? So he, here's the question I want us to ask. And we talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to keep asking this question. How would Jesus' original hearers have heard this message about the kingdom of God? When we hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we maybe put our lens on, our experience, the, the lens we look at these verses through. But how would the, the people who are living Mark, if you will, living the Gospels, how would they have heard this announcement that the kingdom of God has come near? For those living in the first century, they would have been incredibly familiar aware of kingdoms, very aware of it, more so than we are today. The kingdoms would refer to a kingdom. The word kingdom refers to a social system that shape, a social system under which we live. Social systems, ways of living, rules, laws, the way we live life. And those systems are dictated by those in charge. They dictate what you can do, what you can't do. When, when Mark, when, excuse me, when, when this is written about Jesus' life here, they, the, those who are living this, they are living under other kingdoms, other rules, other ways of living. They're living under really two primary kingdoms, two rulers, Herod and Caesar. And these leaders dictate how life goes for them in their kingdoms, who they rule over. So the people that are living what Mark writes about would have been very familiar with kingdoms. So when Jesus announces here right out of the gate, after his baptism, after being in the wilderness, right out of the gate announces another kingdom has come. You can imagine how they would have heard it. It would have been a deeply political statement that I know right now you're under the kingdom or authority of this king, King Herod, Caesar. They're dictating the way life is going to go, but I've brought with me a new kingdom, a new way to order your life, a new way to live. And he says it's good news. Two times, we're told, in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, uh, proclaiming the good news of God. And then the end of uh, um, verse 15, it says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's a whole new way to live, a way to restructure life, reorder life. This theme, the kingdom of God, is embedded in probably the most well-known prayer um, to this day, the Lord's Prayer, 
Whether you're here today and you are familiar with church, been to church, it's your very first time, you have probably prayed or heard prayed at some point in your life the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, I memorized in the King James, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. When Eugene Peterson... Uh, who wrote the paraphrase, uh, the message. Some of you might have read the message, the, the version, the paraphrase of the Bible. When he, when he interprets or uh, paraphrases your kingdom come, what he says, the way he writes it, and I like it, he says, set the world right. Set the world right. It's not, I think we would all agree today, the world is not right. And that's probably an understatement. There's a lot of things in this world and in our lives that are not right. And what Eugene Peterson says, the way he interprets the Lord's Prayer, when he talks about your kingdom come, what he is saying is, God, you have come to set the world right with God's way of life. Uh, another, uh, under, help us understand this kingdom. Again, this might be new for some of us. David Stern, who's a Jewish scholar and theologian, he says this, the kingdom of God refers to a condition in which the rulership, the rule and reign of God is acknowledged by humankind. A condition in which God's promises of a restored universe free from sin and death are or begin to be fulfilled. So this promise of a future restored universe where the world is made right now breaks into the present. The future breaks in to the present. Just one other, this I would consider a very simple definition, but it has been so helpful to me. One, one says it this way, and talk about the kingdom of God. They say, it is what life would be like on earth if God were king and the rulers of this world were not. That might be one of the most concise, simple definitions of the kingdom of God. It's what life would be like on earth. If God were the king, God was in charge. There's not others in charge right now. And the, the rulers of this world were not. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is near. It's, you can experience it. It's within your reach. And it's interesting that Matthew, or excuse me, Mark again describes this as good news. Why would this have been good news? This, this political, and it's more than political, but right now let's talk about it's a political statement that Jesus is making, that, that saying, my, I'm bringing a different kingdom. And that kingdom, his kingdom is going to butt up against the kingdoms of that world, of the world they're living in. And we see it in a variety of ways. So why would this have been good news? Because we have to remember, again, they're living under a system that, again, is doing a lot of good for them. But at the same time, there's a lot of bad that's happening because of the system, the kingdom they're living under. And one historian said this, describing Rome, that's who they lived under, was Rome. And one historian said this, in terms of its systems of law, protection against bandits and pirates, a stable order, public projects such as roads and so forth. Here's what they say. Rome was better than most of the kingdoms and empires that it replaced. Rome did a lot of good things. Did a lot of good things. That's the kingdom they're living under. But the, historian, the, the writer, the author goes on to say, but 
its policies negatively impacted the lives of millions. Its wars of conquest were brutal. In the world of empire, the rich taxed the poor. Moreover, the imperial economic policy of commercialization led to peasants losing their land to large landowners of, Jewish, of the Jewish homeland. And in the rest of the empire, it caused the migration of many peasants to cities where they lived uprooted lives in the midst of urban squalor. So when they hear there's another kingdom that is going to be different than the one we're living under now. It's good news. It's more than that. But right now, when they're hearing it with their limited perspective, this is good news. There's one that's going to make life better for us, different for us. They're going to set us free from the oppression that we're under, the systems that keep us down. It's going to, someone's going to raise us up and destroy. They're going to wipe out Rome. This is great. So for them, it's good news, and it is good news. But at the same time, they also have some expectations of what this kingdom is going to be like and how it's going to work and how it's going to move forward that Jesus doesn't necessarily follow. So that's why when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, many times in Mark and in, in, in Matthew and in Luke, you'll see a phrase like this. The kingdom of God is like. So why is that in there all the time? Because those who are hearing Jesus' message, hearing what he's talking about, have misconceptions of what the kingdom of God is like. They need to understand in a new, with a new set of eyes and, and perspective, what is it like? And I want to say, I believe the same thing is true for us who sit here so many years later. When we think of the kingdom of God, we have our pictures or ideas in our heads of what it's supposed to be like and how it's supposed to move forward and when it's supposed to show up and when it's not supposed to show up. And we have all these maybe misconceptions of the kingdom of God. So our journey over these weeks and months ahead is really figuring out what is the kingdom of God like? And then how do we live in light of that reality? So that's where we're going. So today, what we're going to do, just for a few moments, is ask this question. What do we learn? What do we learn about the nature of the kingdom of God from these few verses? This isn't all we're going to learn about the kingdom of God, but just, just two lessons today. And the two lessons come from really the two stories that sandwich the announcement. It's very strategic the way Mark writes. It's not haphazard. It's, it's fast-paced, but it's, in, it's strategic. So we're going to look at the two stories, the one before the announcement and the ones after. And I believe as we look at both, we learn more about the nature of the kingdom of God today. So here's the first lesson. Here's what we learn first. The kingdom of God involves a sense of mystery. There's a sense of mystery as it relates to the kingdom of God. And I believe that's highlighted here in verse 14. We can almost miss it in verse 14, this detail. After John was put in prison. After John was put in prison. Some of you who are just joining us today for the first time in the series, you, you might be like, I don't know who John is. 
Is he one of Jesus' disciples? Who's John? Mark doesn't give us a lot of description, uh, but this is John the Baptist that we talked about last week. John the Baptist was the one who came before Jesus. He was the one who was baptizing uh, out in the wilderness at the the Jordan River. Uh, People were going out to him. Uh, He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's the guy who was wearing not the uh, uh, trendy clothing, uh, but he's wearing clothing that he stood out. I mean, it was like, what do you wear, man? I mean, where'd you get that? He's wearing the camel hair and the leather belt. He's eating wild honey and locusts, uh, which were basically the food of the poor. That's what he's eating. And he's out in the wilderness. And, and Mark doesn't tell us why he's arrested. This story's picked up later in Mark in a few chapters, chapter six. We're told why John's arrested. But there's a sense of mystery here. You have in one sentence, the beginning of the sentence, after John was put in prison, then the next part, the second half of the sentence, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. This doesn't seem like good news. John's arrested. He's in jail and he's not going to leave jail. He's not going to leave jail alive. So we have this contrast, this paradox. He's arrested and it's good news proclaiming the good news and the the announcement about the kingdom of God is near. And I believe what this story and many others will surface is as we think about the kingdom of God, friends, we have to always live in this tension of mystery, how the kingdom of God moves forward and what happens and what doesn't happen. There's stories in the Bible of people being arrested and then released, miraculously released. But then there's also stories in the Bible of someone being arrested and then killed. And somehow, in the midst of it, God's kingdom still moves forward. Probably one of the greatest mysteries that the disciples had to wrestle with is here's Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, but yet he's dying on a cross. Wait a minute. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's going to give us deliverance and victory and you're dying? You're going to let them kill you? A mystery. They didn't fully understand it. And what we'll realize as we think about the kingdom of God today where we live, for us today, is there's this sense of in the kingdom of God, this tension we live in that that God's kingdom can be experienced today. It's here, it's near, it's in our midst but not fully here. We live in that continual tension. We live in the time in between. We live in the dash, if you will. We know a future's coming when the kingdom of God will fully come and the world will be made right. But until that day, we live in this tension that it moves forward in many times mysterious ways. And I believe this is important, especially for the original readers of Mark's gospel. Nero is killing Christians left and right. And we're talking, when, when, when Mark writes, we're talking two to three decades after Jesus has, has lived, died, rose again, and is now back at the Father. So now they're talking two, three decades later, and Jesus talked about this kingdom, but right now things are getting a lot worse. Jesus, I thought this kingdom was going to make things better. And I believe he includes this little line after John was put in prison and how God's kingdom moves forward even in that to say, as we think about the kingdom, it involves a sense of mystery. 
And maybe for us today, you might be hearing this thinking, God's kingdom is here, it's near, you can experience it today. Then what's going on in our world? Things seem to keep getting worse. And at times they do. And this is where we have to live within that mystery how God works and how God's ways. And we'll talk even more about the kingdom of God and the nature of it. But first, we need to understand it involves a sense of mystery. The second lesson we learn is this, that the kingdom of God involves a call to action. It's not just something we sit on or think about, um, have a mental assent to that, yeah, I believe this. But as we think of the call or the, the, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, it, it's a call to action. So again, verse um, 15, it says this, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance, and we'll talk more about repentance. Repentance is not just, I'm sorry for what I did. That, that is repentance, but that's not all repentance is. Repentance is so much more than just, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do that again. Turning from a behavior, from a, a, a way I'm living, um, it is that, but it's much more. It's, it's, it's also a change of how we think. It's a changing of our minds. Repent, change, change how you see things, change how you see priorities, change how you see yourself, change how you see God, change how you see God's kingdom. Because you're coming under a new way to live. So it involves change, repentance, a change of mind. And it says repent and believe. Belief isn't just an assent to some truths or facts. Like, I believe these things to be true. That it is belief. But belief was never meant to be just a mental assent to certain information. Belief was always to lead to action. I don't just believe these things to be true. I live in light of them being true. And what we see, I believe, is, is some disciples, some of the first disciples, living this out, this change, this, this leaving behind and moving towards and living out uh, what Jesus invited them to do. In verse 16, it says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Simon will become Peter, who was the one who um, uh, told Mark most of what he wrote. So here we're introduced to, to Peter. Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net uh, into the lake, for they were fishermen. I like that detail. Obviously, they're fishermen. They're casting nets uh, into the lake. Thank you, Mark, for that important detail. Um, for they are fishermen. And here's what Jesus says. Come, follow me. Follow me. And here's the promise. He, said, I, he says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow me, you're not just going to be, you're no longer going to be catching fish. You're going to be catching men, so to speak. You're going to change. Your perspective is going to change of the purpose of your life. This, this is somewhat unusual. Again, we read these verses and with our lens on and we say, that's, we've read these stories before. Jesus goes by the lake, calls people, come follow me. And these, these, these disciples get up and follow him. But in this culture, this was unusual. You had rabbis and teachers and, and, and many times there would be um, their disciples, the people that wanted to learn from them would come to them and say, Rabbi, teacher, I respect you. I respect your knowledge, specifically the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. I want to learn the Torah from you. Can I learn from you? And there would be an invitation from the disciple to the rabbi or the teacher, and they would say, yeah, I, you can fall. You can learn from me. We'll study together. Maybe you've seen Fiddler on the Roof. 
That's one of my favorite musicals, is Fiddler on the Roof. In, the, in that community, that Jewish community, you see these men sitting around the rabbi and talking about the Torah together. And they would have asked, they would ask questions about the Torah, but they would be the ones initiating the relationship. Jesus, on the other hand, goes to these fishermen and he initiates the relationship with them. And he goes to them and he says, follow me. I, I, my reading of this is some I wonder like, man, that's pretty, pretty radical. Like leave your, your livelihood, drop your nets and follow this guy. I think there was more interaction. They were familiar. I mean, you heard some teaching uh, before all of this. We're from somewhat familiar with who Jesus was. I don't think this was the first time that he's just showing up and I'm going to drop my nets and here we go. I mean, this was, every, this was their livelihood. <laughs> this probably had been in their, you know, but doing this, and then we even, doing this for a number of years, and then we even get a sense of, you know, some other fishermen, other disciples. In verse 19, when they had gone a little, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brothers, John. We're going to learn about these guys later. One of my favorite passages in the Bible about these guys in leadership, and it's just a fascinating with their mom, and it's fascinating story. Uh, we'll get there in a few months. Um, but so these two brothers, James and John, and their bro James are sitting in the boat preparing their nets and probably the same call. We, Mark doesn't record it, but most likely follow me is probably what Jesus said to them. And without delay, he called them and they left their father. This is interesting. They left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired men and followed him. For, for James and John, there was a little more to leave. We get the sense here this was a family business that most likely had been in their family for generations. And their dad, this is his retirement plan. Boys, you will take over the business. And now they're leaving. And they're following Jesus. Now we get a sense there's probably, they're probably a little more well-to-do. They have hired men. They're in a boat. Probably a little more well-to-do, but, but again, like Simon and Andrew, they leave and they follow. And they're learning. And, and what Jesus says is, follow me. Learn from me. Learn from my example. And that's really the journey we're on over these months, is to learn from the example of Jesus. How we can follow him. How, as we follow him, he says to, to Simon and Andrew, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your purpose in life. I want to change how you look, look at life, what's important to you. And as I change you, as you follow me and learn from me, you are then going to change others and you're going to change uh, situations and you're going to change circumstances because you're, you're working, I'm working through you to impact other people's lives. Now, you might read this and say, well, if we're called to follow, do I have to leave my job? No, I don't think this is what this text is saying. For Simon and Andrew and James and John, it did. They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their hired, the dad and hired men. They followed. I don't think for all of us it's saying we're going to leave our jobs and follow. But I think what Jesus is saying is follow me and I will change how you view your job. How you view going to work every day and the people around you. I'll change how you view going, sitting in a math class five days a week at high school or middle school. 
realizing that as, I'm, as you're following me, I'm working on you, I'm changing you so that you can make an impact on the people around you. And it's this changing how we think. It's this repentance and following, moving away and moving towards following Jesus. And why is this important? This is important today as we think about our earth. One person I read this week said this, heaven's in great shape. Earth is where the problems are. Heaven's in great shape, friends. But I think we all know earth is where the problems are. And earth is where God's, God wants his kingdom to come. On earth as it is in heaven. And how does he want it to come? Through people like you and I who are willing to follow even in the midst of mystery, who are willing to follow him and his example. And I think this is good for us to think about because sometimes, I'm going to be, but I can get so caught up. I can get so caught up in the life to come that I miss the invitation to live, see heaven come now. In the problems, in the suffering, in the injustices of our world. I can get so caught up and I know there's coming a day and I long for that day, but I miss in the midst of longing for that day. And I do long for that day that I miss the responsibility or the invitation to be about God's kingdom, being an instrument for God's kingdom to come now today. One missionary, Vincent Devon said this related to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. He said this, when we pray this prayer, we not only open our lives to God's inbreaking presence, creating anew, we are saying that we ourselves are willing to be involved as the participants in his presence, indeed as part of the something new God is bringing into this world. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, God is saying, I want to work through you to see my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You and I. It's, it's fascinating to me who Jesus chose to be a part of his disciples. Team, if you will. Fishermen. Ordinary guys. Did they know the, the Torah? The, they would have been very familiar with it, but probably not highly educated, not leaders in their community, but just common guys. And Jesus says, I want to work through you. And I want to work through you. And I want to work through you normal people that he wants to see his kingdom come through our lives. So just like when Jesus walked on the shores of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, he moves towards you and I today and his message and invitation are still the same. Here's his declaration, still the same today. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And Jesus, just like so many years ago, he invites you and I, just like Simon and Andrew and James and John, the invitation is the same. Come and follow me. Learn from me. Follow me into your school. Follow me into your home. Follow me into your workplace. Follow me to the gym. Follow me to the grocery store. Follow me wherever you go and learn from me. And I will make you fishers of men. I will transform who you are so you impact the places you go, and the people you go, the people you're around. So I'm going to pray for us. 
and uh, just pray that God would help us be those that live in light of his kingdom, the nature of his kingdom. So would you stand with me as I pray, and, and then we'll sing as we wrap up. So God, I want to thank you for uh, this text today, your word today to us. And uh, Lord, we might be well acquainted with the kingdom of God. We might be very unfamiliar with this idea, this concept, this, this way of life, the rule and reign of God. I want to thank you that throughout Mark, even next week, we'll learn about the kingdom of God as we watch a, as we watch a person set free from a demonic spirit in their life in a synagogue of all places. We see your kingdom's power on display. So God, this week, as we think, uh, just kind of move into the kingdom of God and thinking more about it, I, we, we live in that tension of a mystery of how it works and how it moves forward and in the midst of suffering and tragedies and even just, just things even happening recently in our world and our nation and just, man, how is the kingdom of God near? These things are happening. But Lord, we trust you. We live in that already, not yet tension today. And God, would we heed and embrace the invitation, the call to respond, the call to action? Not just say, I believe certain things, but I pray our beliefs would lead to living, following you this week. We're all going to go to different places this week. We're going to be around different people. And you've placed us there to represent you, to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So help us to be about that even this week. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.